Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Zoe. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us. Hello, I'm Anoush Shekelian, Britain editor at the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have our policy and politics correspondent, Zoe Grunewald, and our deputy political editor, Rachel Whitmouth. So we've had a lot of questions come in on this topic. And so we've just picked one that sort of sums up the tone of a lot of them. If the Israel invasion continues to escalate, how many seats could Labour be at risk of losing as a result of Keir Starmer's disastrous messaging? This is the um, this is the questioner's words last week. So people are sort of very shocked, basically, about um, the comments that he made in an LBC interview. It was on the 11th of November during Labour conference when he appeared to say that Israel has the right to cut water and power off from Gaza. And then it took him nine days to say that that wasn't really what he meant to say. He was sort of answering the... the the, the question before and but you know it's too late the clip's gone viral and a lot of people are very offended and upset by it i'm very clear israel must have that does have that right to defend herself um and hamas bears responsibility a siege is appropriate cutting off power cutting off water well, i think that israel does have that right it is an ongoing situation um obviously Everything should be done within international law, but I don't want to step away from the sort of core principles that Israel has a right to defend herself and Hamas bears responsibility. Um, And it's caused a lot of damage in the party so far. I think around 20 Labour councillors have resigned, and that means that Labour has lost its majority on Oxford Council. Um, And over 150 Muslim Labour councillors are petitioning the leadership to support an, an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Um, And then there was a visit that he made um, to the South Wales Islamic Centre, which is one of Wales's oldest mosques. Um, And he, you know, they put out a statement afterwards saying that he'd gravely misrepresented the nature of the visit in his tweets afterwards, which showed him sort of warmly greeting people and saying that they'd discussed humanitarian aid and a two-state solution and things. Um, And they'd said the purpose had been to raise the plight of Palestinians and kind of like um, robustly question him on the things that he'd said. So it seems to be that the the tensions in the party over this are escalating. Rachel, you've been following this closely this week. I mean, how much potential does this have to escalate even further? It's quite hard to say. I think at this point, at the moment, you know, resignations and serious rebellions are contained to local government rather than in Westminster. If it um, spreads further to Westminster, I think that it'll be a very obvious problem for him. But I think there's a a separate problem, which is just a complete breakdown in discipline. Um, You've seen a couple of shadow ministers go completely off message in the House of of Commons, um, three in total, I think it is. Yeah, let's talk about those. So 
this is a mix of people from different factions in the party as well. So Jess Phillips, you know, usually loyal and seen as on the right of the party, shadow domestic violence minister. I mean, she said for Rishi Sunak to condemn Israel if it breaches international law. And she, you know, she was saying this means a great deal to her constituents. She has a Birmingham constituency. Flo Eshalomi, shadow democracy minister, um, she was calling for a temporary ceasefire. And then you had Yasmin Qureshi as well, shadow equalities minister. So these are all front benches calling on the prime minister to back a ceasefire in Gaza. And this is not Labour's line. So all of them have sort of strayed from, from the party line. There are a number of groups that I think Keir Starmer has to manage effectively to sort of get through the, the weeks and months ahead. I think the next flashpoint may, may be when there's a ground invasion in Gaza, when um, the war will get more bloody and, you know, questions about where it goes next and what Labour's position should be will intensify. But then, so he has to manage, I think, some of his Muslim MPs, which he's, he's met with this week to try and allay their concerns. I think they're probably satisfied for now and think that the, the position which has moved from being Israel has a right to defend itself to we'd like to see humanitarian pauses in hostilities to ensure enough aid gets in gets in there uh, into Gaza. Yeah. Um, so um, I think that group's probably sat- satisfied for now, but would like to see um, language change to to ceasefire. I think maybe the way it's been reported by some places so far is that this is just a left right issue. I think that's yeah. that's that's wrong. I think there's there's concern amongst all wings of the party. And then he also, bearing in mind the problems that they had with anti-Semitism under, under Jeremy Corbyn, he also has to uh, manage Jewish Labour MPs and members who, considering that there's, I think it's 400 hostages um, um, that have been held by Hamas and, and there, that there are British citizens amongst those yeah. hostages yeah, exactly. um, that move into call for a ceasefire is, will be very difficult for Keir Starmer to take that position. But I think it's probably worth pointing out more broadly that the Labour party's position on on the conflict doesn't really have have impact on on the conflict itself you know i mean um hamas fighters and um the israeli defense force are not going to lay down their guns because you know a, a human rights lawyer called Keir Starmer is um wants them wants them to um the the people who really matter in this in in, in terms of the international conversation obviously is the uk government and but more importantly um the the us and and the and the EU, which will meet meet this week, and probably have this. The, I think they're all going to be basically on the same page. In that, you know, Anthony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, has said that they favour pauses in hostility for aid. Um, the mm. EU is meeting on on Thursday, um, which is when we're recording this podcast, when they're likely to take a similar position. And I think probably people who are around Keir Starmer don't think it's helpful to have a position that departs from yeah. from that and from the from the UK government. Yes, because at the moment there's no difference between Labour's position on this and the and the UK government's position. It's just it just so happens that the internal politics of the Labour Party and its um and its electorate um, makes it more awkward for it to try and find a balanced line between the groups that it like you very well laid out that it's trying to um sympathise with and, and hear. Um, and it looks like they've clumsily been going about this at the moment. Yes, I think the thing that's caused the most damage um, is that nine-day wait in, correct, in correcting that initial interview in which, you know, on the on the face of it, in the black and, black and white words, it looked like Keir Starmer was um, somehow condoning war crimes yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and the withholding of um, power and water, I think it was, that he was asked about specifically. People close to him said he was quite tired, but in the intervening period, there's been an entire Labour Party conference, there's been two two by-elections. And throughout that time... Yeah, he's been there in was, front there of reporters was, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's been plenty of opportunities to say, we need to go on record and correct this and recognise 
um, some of the hurt caused. Um, and that and that hasn't happened. And I think what has been a comms failure has been allowed to fester and just become a real political problem for him. After the break, we'll talk about the potential electoral impact of all of this and whether this is proving just as much a problem for Keir Starmer as it did for Jeremy Corbyn. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And how about the electoral problem? Because that's what our question is actually about. How many seats could Labour be at risk of losing? Um, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Sundar Kutwala, who is the head of um, British Future, a think tank, very, very um, respected uh, writer about immigration in the UK and these kind of topics. He's crunched the numbers and he's warning against overreading into this. Um, he said that, you know, even after the Iraq invasion, um, the impact on uh, Labour's sort of electoral standing was marginal but it did you know it did have a long-term impact in terms of certain groups feeling alienated from the party and you know Tower Hamlets for example it still has a sort of successor group running the council to the George Galloway stop the war kind of times um Tower Hamlets first I think now Aspire um and so there are various seats where you do have a big population of Muslim voters and it's not just Muslim voters who are exercised by this issue but you know you have seen the Labour Muslim Councillors Network putting out this petition and you know Muslim voters generally do overwhelmingly vote for for Labour even though they obviously don't vote in one block but you've you've seen the numbers you know Um, there are a lot of seats where which Labour represents which has this kind of balance of population I remember going to the Batley and Spen by-election and you know, it really was a struggle for for Labour, who I think there was a feeling that they'd taken some of those voters for granted for quite a long time, assuming that they would just turn out for them, where they were really fighting hard for each vote to the extent that they were saying slightly distasteful things in terms of, oh, you know, our candidate wouldn't be lobby fodder for a government that, you know, is on Narendra Modi's side and things, bringing that kind of politics into it. They obviously won that by-election, but to me, it was a sign there's a slight unease there. George Galloway was trying to cause trouble there as well. And, you know, could that happen in certain constituencies, but also on certain councils if this is allowed to um, sort of develop without, you know, without getting a lid on the situation? Mm. I'm afraid I don't know about councils, but um, I think I've seen some estimates where it said that the Muslim population is greater than the Labour majority, and that's in around 30 constituencies. But uh, as you sort of alluded to there, that's a really crude way of looking at it. That's like saying, you know, all voters of of one ethnic group would, would vote in a particular way, and that's really... Um, not a very helpful way of looking at it. So I don't no. think there's any reliable data on how it would necessarily affect voters. But as I was trying to sort of get to earlier, it's it's not just an ethnic minority issue issue for him. And, you know, it's a, an issue that liberal voters are very passionate about. It, it's not necessarily going to break down in one particular way. It's, and um, similarly, I don't think the conflict's going to necessarily be viewed in the same way as it, as it is now, because it depends how it plays out and it's you know it's very very difficult to predict that at the moment yeah. 
I think it's a yeah, it's an issue that really kind of haunts the Labour Party yeah, and has so. done for some time because obviously we're you know I think as we were saying earlier, part of Starmer's um, comments on LBC, the comments that um, upset quite a lot of people. I mean, in a way that that very much felt like a you know too much of an overcorrection from the the, the Corbyn approach to um, the conflict and and the stance that was taken there, and obviously that was something that Corbyn was criticised quite heavily for at the time. Obviously, there's been issues with anti-Semitism within the Labour Party as well. So you can you can understand why there might be caution around yeah. around this issue. But um, you know, it was it was unfortunate that um that was the the wording he used because it just, you know, it did it, it didn't really well, it felt like he was sanctioning, you know, war crimes or a ground invasion. And also, you know, considering Starmer's reputation as a human rights lawyer, it was a you know, it, it wasn't really a, a sensical position to take in terms of the law as well. Um but yeah, this is an issue that that haunts the Labour Party and I think that's why they've been so conscious around it. It's interesting. They managed to, I mean, I think a lot of People were concerned that it might overshadow Labour conference, but actually they managed at the time to to handle it quite well. And despite everything that was going on, it didn't seem to, you know, permeate too much of what was happening at at conference. But since then, um, it's become a much bigger issue. And yeah, it's really become almost one of the most defining problems for Starmer's leadership so far. So you can understand why they're very, very nervous around it. But absolutely, I mean, I think it isn't just an issue, as Rachel was saying, within kind of Muslim and Jewish communities. Actually, this is a conflict that has, you know, been, it's incredibly, it's got a lot of history. It's incredibly emotive for for lots of people. Um, and that's why it's really captured the public's attention so much. And it isn't just an issue for those particular demographics. I think a lot of people are concerned by the approach being taken by leaders across the West. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's only going to develop, isn't it? Because um, there is going to be an intensification of the response from Israel that, you know, will mean that we see more and more atrocious images and stories coming out of Gaza, which will have an impact on public opinion. Um, I think there's some evidence that it already has. And of course, the the international consensus changes as these developments take place. And I think Labour's been caught on the back foot again, exactly because, as you say, there's that overcorrection and nervousness. But it means that, you know, Keir Starmer could potentially have his reputation affected in the way that Jeremy Corbyn did for the sort of opposite reasons, you know, his commitment to the Palestinian cause and the anti-Semitism that bubbled up in the party, like under that guise sometimes. I think it's 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 worth pointing out that, that a lot of the people who in Labour who have been quite critical have actually um, publicly directed most of their criticism at, at, the, at the government. So yeah. I think he has managed to maintain party discipline quite well. But I think one of the things that probably worth reflecting is that there are some people within the Jewish community and within the Jewish labour movement who would have wanted to have seen stronger criticism of um, some elements of, you know, for example, the BBC coverage, which which failed to mention the fact that Hamas is a terror group. Um, I think they would have probably liked him to be stronger on that. Um, And I think he's kind of caught caught in between. And I think that there's there's a lot to, to risk here and it's a very tricky thing for him to manage. All right, well, we'll keep a close eye on this. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. We do read them all, so please keep them coming in. If you'd like to send us a question, you can go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can just scroll down on the episode page and leave a reply. And YouTube viewers can drop a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Zoe Grunewald and Rachel Wearmouth. We'll be back tomorrow talking about one year of Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes.